Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. I'm going to be trying to do some more regular podcasts going forward. So I'm hoping to, yeah, do be doing these on hopefully eventually a weekly or at least bi-weekly basis, especially starting in the new year. I'm not going to set exact dates or do anything like that right now because I just do not have that level of organization going into Christmas. But in the new year, I really am going to try to do that for both my podcast as well as my YouTube channel. So I hope that'll make it a little bit more convenient for people to listen to stuff regularly and also know what days to expect it on. But anyways, right now this podcast is just kind of like my talking space whenever I have motivation and means to talk, and today is just one of those days. So today I think what I wanted to talk about is just like the terminology and language that we use in the horse world that we don't necessarily always realize how it can be harmful. And that's not going to be like the primary point of this podcast, but it's going to be an important thing to consider is the terms that I'm going to address. But overall, it's just kind of a commentary on the current horse world state and just some of the problematic themes that I see on social media online and why I think people should be a little bit more concerned about how it's perceived. Because I do think a lot of people are underestimating the impact of like the social structure we have today and the amount of change that can occur if people organize in large groups and really push for something especially the more and more bad press whatever you're trying to protest gets and I think that's honestly coming for the horse world because I would think that a lot of horse people even those that aren't necessarily in the category we'd necessarily consider like directly abusive but I think that there's a certain level of normalized mistreatment of horses that is just like showcased so broadly and people who aren't within the horse world can see it a lot more plainly because they've not been like indoctrinated into thinking certain management or training of horses is okay whereas lifelong horse people who started riding as children kind of started getting these biases drilled into their head when they were young and impressionable and it's made them blind to a lot of the problems within certain structures of training and management and I see this a lot on TikTok like I've brought up TikTok numerous times in my podcasts because I do have a pretty big problem with TikTok and my issue with TikTok is mainly the fact that I find it exceedingly difficult to get any legitimate animal abuse video taken down and reported so what this means is that on TikTok there is this insane level of just normalized abuse and these videos will be going viral and getting like 70,000 plus likes and obviously like there's still a fair number of negative comments criticizing what it is but it gets spread widely enough that it normalizes that type of treatment to people who are already at least partially guilty of treating horses in such a way and then it also puts it across the social pages of people who aren't even in the horse world but like horses and will watch it and be horrified because it's just so clearly cruel to the horse and then it'll also put it across the pages of people who are in the horse world and also don't agree with it so then it blows it up more because everyone's commenting on it whether it's to agree with it or criticize it or share it with friends about how bad it is and this isn't me saying that people shouldn't be commenting to criticize or showing it to friends if it troubles them I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing but I think the lack of accountability is a very very bad thing and I find it really concerning the degree of abuse that you can commit towards livestock and never get held accountable versus if you were to compare it to a dog or a cat like for example if I was ever caught in public with my dog and I decided to do something like tying her to a post by a chain that she's like hanging from if she pulls back too far and she's like choking herself if someone took a video of that and posted it to TikTok it would get a lot of hate like even just the idea of having a dog tied on a long line in a yard gets enough hate as is whether they have access to water shelter and so on like people are already critical enough of the idea of a dog living outside full-time let alone like having like any type of like abrasion or rub from a collar or any of that stuff but then in comparison people can post videos of their horses being hard tied and pulling back violently giving themselves abrasions really hurting their neck spine and pole and completely terrifying the crap out of themselves and in comparison like if a dog was in that same situation it experiencing the same level of fear of the horse was they'd probably be like urinating themselves and like yelping and loudly protesting because like when dogs are scared they're more vocal than when horses are scared 
and that makes people listen to them more by default and they're also a more common pet so people can sympathize with them more and understand them better but what I'm getting at is like it wouldn't take very much for someone to get cancelled online for their mistreatment of a dog like it wouldn't even have to be something that severe and it wouldn't even have to be something where you'd go this dog should be taken away from this person they could do something fairly minor if you were to compare it to what we do to horses on a daily basis or what we see normalized and get crucified for it and get a lot of negative press but in the horse world you could do stuff like laying into a horse in the warm-up arena at a show and yeah there's probably going to be a fair number of people who are disgusted but you're unlikely to ever get in trouble or held properly accountable for it and you're also very unlikely for it to go viral in the same way where it's like overwhelmingly negative and not a ton of people defending you because people are willing to go pretty far to defend certain types of horse training and abuse um and that's concerning because it just kind of de it, it like makes livestock and like larger animals more justifiable to mistreat simply because of their size when really if you think about it it's pretty silly that like we justify abusing and being harsher on flight animals because like under the notion that they need to be respectful and have manners or they won't be safe and we'll justify using like very coercive scary forceful painful tactics for this and justify that but then if you are to try to do the same with dogs it doesn't fly to the same extent like obviously there's training methods with dogs that are for forceful coercive and just like uncomfortable to the dog that are normalized to a large extent but it's not to the same sense as the horse like for a dog like one of the more archaic kind of harsher methods people would probably think of criticizing in terms of a training gadget would be like a prong collar but a prong collar looks really tame in comparison to something like a lip chain um, which is used fairly common on horses or things like twitches which are also used pretty commonly on horses and very much normalized even for regular procedures and the tone is starting to change surrounding things like that but my point is you can still do it on like a regular basis and people will try to like shrug it off like it's not painful or like it doesn't harm the horse at all simply because the horse is large but then with dogs we're more likely to defend the dog and feel sorry for dogs depending on how they're treated even though like a dog is a prey animal not a prey animal sorry a dog's a predator and a horse is a prey animal so logically speaking just in terms of how they function psychologically it makes a lot less sense to train a horse using primary methods of like fear and stress to create behavioral change because when they're fearful or stressful it's within their nature to be like flighty so their go-to thing is to be passive and just try to create distance between them and whatever they are afraid of or whatever is endangering them whereas for dogs they're more likely to act as the aggressor simply because of their nature as a predator and this isn't me saying people should beat their dogs more but it's saying that from a psychological perspective it makes even less sense to train horses using the really fearful coercive tactics and yet we justify it more for them because they are flight animals um no because, sorry because they're big animals and the thing that's even more messed up about this is like I wanted to kind of draw some comparisons for people who might still not be on the same page as me in some of these thoughts just to try to put it in perspective in a way that might click for people or might help you explain to people better if some of you are trying to convince people why certain things aren't okay so in specific methods like hard tying like with the patient's poll and for those of you who haven't tuned into these other podcasts about this when I refer to the patient's poll I'm not just referring to like tying a horse up I'm referring to the idea of like Tying, hard tying a horse who does not tie and who is prone to pulling back and then watching them violently pull back until they quote-unquote calm down um, which is learned a learned helpless response because they realize that they cannot escape so then they give up um, so I'm specifically referring to stuff like that or stuff like forcibly laying a horse down where you like rope their leg and make them lay down and trainers will do this to try to say it gains respect and develops a bond and that when horses are being like quote disrespectful that if you lay them down and like sit on them and stuff it teaches them respect which is like a load of shit but the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because a lot of people claim that this stuff is like bonding and it teaches horses how to calm down and realize that they're not in danger and to trust people and it's like an inherently flawed concept because it doesn't really matter which animal you apply this thinking to anytime you remove any and all autonomy from an animal and basically trap and force them to be in your presence and deal with fear-provoking stimuli at full intensity you are not building a trusting relationship with them if they stop fighting and calm down it's literally no different 
different than a human hostage realizing that like kicking and fighting against their ties doesn't get them free and all it does is tear the shit out of their wrists put them in pain and tire them out which robs them of any future opportunity of escaping if they're actually given a better option so they learn to be compliant and sit there and do what they have to do to avoid getting killed if they think their life is in danger and do what they need to do to avoid pain so if you're with a hostage it like if you're a hostage in a situation where you're with an abuser who is who has kidnapped you and tied you up and if you scream or yell you get hit every time or they like shock you or something eventually you'll learn to stop screaming and yelling and pulling against your ties because one you know you're not going to escape two when you do it you get punished and again no escape so it's to no avail and it just puts you in a worse situation so eventually what a lot of people would do in this type of situation is they'd calm down they'd stop yelling they'd stop trying to escape to the same extent but they're not doing so because they're calm and happy in the situation because they suddenly trust their person who's holding them hostage. They're doing it to conserve energy and because they've realized that any attempt to escape doesn't bring them anything. It just means that they're going to tire themselves out and there's no chance of freedom. So you learn to stop wasting energy in that way because it's hopeless. And this is what learned helplessness is. It's the realization that you're helpless in the situation you're in and nothing that you can do frees you from it. So then you learn that those movements don't matter and then your body conserves that energy and your brain goes into a depressed state where you stop reacting to outward stimuli in the same way. And it's a really negative state of being from a welfare perspective, but in a lot of ways it's a safety mechanism because when you're in a high period of trauma that depressed response by the brain helps you lower your stress level over time to from being one where you're like literally about to have a heart attack to one where you're kind of dull and not properly reacting to the environment that you should be afraid of but it helps you in the sense that it makes it easier to cope with a prolonged amount of stress without dying <laughs> so it is technically a safety response by the brain but it's not one that anyone should be intentionally trying to induce in any animal or any person because it's not a healthy state of being it's one where they've basically been taught that nothing they do matters and that they just have to give in and let whatever their captor wants to do happen to them and that's a really really negative state of being and it's even worse, like, in, in horse cases, like, the difference between horses and humans is, like, it's, first of all, it's hard enough for humans to get out of abusive situations, and you can create this very same type of, like, trauma bond and stuff in animals as you see in humans, but abusive relationships for people are exceptionally hard to get out of. Even if the person can recognize that they're being mistreated by their significant other or their family member or friend or so on and so forth, it can be very hard to leave these situations because you kind of normalize it and you get used to it and you'll try to justify behaviors, especially if they're not cruel to you all the time. And for people, it's hard enough to get out of that abusive relationship and we have the means to like find resources for these types of things like mental health resources support groups and other means of information to like tell us like hey this isn't okay this isn't how you should be treated and here are some steps that you can take to try to like be safer or to eventually leave an abusive situation and we have that with animals, the reason why they need us to speak out on their behalf so much is because they don't have any of those resources. And especially with an animal like a horse, when they're in pain, they're not yelping and screaming in the same way as other animals like dogs or cats might. So it doesn't come off as dire as it is to lots of people who have been trained to ignore it. So they rely on us to advocate for them. And like the state that the horse world is in right now is not okay. Like we need to change it. This is not where you want to stagnate and go like, yeah, I'm okay with this. Continue on forevermore like we we need to kind of like draw a line and go like we need to do better like we know more now there's no reason to be taking like these old school methods and honestly like a lot of the old school like just break the horse break their spirit like just ride them until they behave basically and are just blindly obedient those types of methods that don't factor in how the horse feels or how something might cause them pain or distress they're outdated and they originated from a time period where one we weren't doing a lot of scientific research on horses and didn't know a lot about them or their psychology or how they think or what causes them fear and two during a time period where horses were primarily work animals and where there was a certain level of necessity to get them to do these jobs and do them immediately because people needed it to survive now they are more like pets and like partners and like a luxury animal to have in your house and 
they're not there there's not the same level of necessity here at least for the mistreatment of them to try to like make ends meet and the reason why i'm saying this is because i get a lot of people tagging me in videos depicting animal abuse in other countries and the reason why i'm more hesitant to cause the call these out to the same extent is because a lot of the people depicted in these an in these videos are using animals to make ends meet and they're like not putting food on the table for their families and stuff if they're not using their animals to tow wagons to get their family to town to go to the markets and like so on and so forth and obviously this isn't in every case but I get shared a lot of them where there's like very skinny animals that are living in scenarios where the people are also suffering and the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because yes it is still like abusive and neglectful to the animal but there's an inherent difference when someone is doing what they have to do to make ends meet and doing what they have to do to live and when someone is just doing it because they can and because they don't feel like do it learning a different way and um, Obviously, to the animal, it's the same experience, but I think that, like, focusing on, like, North America and, like, what we're doing here with our animals and setting an example for what we expect from animal welfare in living situations where we're not having as large of a margin of people who are poverty-stricken and relying on, like, animals for transport and whatnot, um... So basically, like the the reason why I don't focus on a lot of like out of area uh, problems that are occurring in countries where people are like in war torn countries or like very poor and relying on animals for the bare necessities is because they're fighting a different battle. And I think that the battle here that like I focus on like Canadian, U.S., sometimes like U.K., those types of areas where horses are incredibly common as like sporting animals or pleasure animals. We need to set an example for what we want to see because we aren't relying on our animals to put food on the table for our families or to get us to certain areas that we need to go to to work and do like the bare minimum. Like our horses to us are for fun. They're like a luxury um, pet to have and you get to do fun things with them. And the reason why we have horses is for our own personal enjoyment and leisure. It's not out of necessity for food or making ends meet. So there's an inherent difference because there, there's a huge difference when someone like has the means to make their animal's life better and has all of the access to like the educational, the educational resources that they'd need to learn and could immediately better their horse's situation very easily simply because of what they have access to and someone who doesn't have access to any of that stuff and would be in trouble if they could no longer use an animal to take them to go get food. Um, so... What I, what I mean by this is that, like, where I stand, like, within the competition world and also just seeing trainers, like, advertising horses for people to use for shows or for pleasure riding, for trails, etc., doesn't really matter what they're using the horses for, but they're not using them as, like, work horses. The work, like, what they would call work for horses is c directly catered towards the leisure and pleasure of the humans that have them. So what this means is that, like, since the horses are being used almost solely just for, like, leisure and pleasure on the part of the human, we owe it to them even more so to provide them with a good life and do things kindly because we have the means to. You aren't in a desperate situation where you need the horse to perform for you or you're not going to eat dinner or that your kids are going to go hungry or that you won't be able to get to town to go to work. Um, we don't have any of those things. Like when someone's horse goes lame or has like a behavioral issue that inconveniences them from shows, their biggest concern is the fact that they can no longer use the horse for its intended purpose. They're not at risk of like any major fallout like from their life and being able to like healthily live. It's all about like the convenience of being able to use the horse for that fun intended purpose. And this is why I get so heated, like, looking at, like, the upper-level equestrians who don't turn out their horses or some of the stuff that a lot of trainers condone because I look at people who have so much privilege and access and it, like, extends far past the horse world. Like, the people you see within the horse world are typically a lot more privileged than the average person. So we see this, like, high instance of privilege, especially when you're, like, on the show circuits where people have, like, insane amounts of extra money that they can funnel into horses. And yet these people are still failing to provide their horses with basics like social turnout and, like constant forage and just the ability to express natural behaviors and all that jazz and they have the means to because these people like a lot of the people we see at the top of the sport or competing um in the horse world like 
on any rated circuit, let alone like the upper levels or going to big shows like WEF, a lot of these people can, one, like they own property and they're homeowners, so they're doing better than anyone who doesn't. And two, a lot of them that are showing frequently could afford to buy quite nice properties or at least board at a nice facility where their horse could have adequate care provided for them. And this is why I get so frustrated because I like it puts this pit in my stomach basically where I look at people who have more privilege and access to things than I do as like a 20 almost 26 year old woman who's running my own business and has had to go this completely on my own without like the same help and family support as other people who come from more privileged backgrounds may have like for example a lot of people in my position who might be into horses from a young age who want to start their own business, they would have parents who could potentially help them out or at least a family member who could give them some type of business loan or grant to at least get them started. I've never had that. And I'm also in a position where no one in my immediate family is a homeowner. So we're at an inherent disadvantage for trying to get into the housing market in the first place. And what this means also is that since we are renting, we are subject to whatever the landlord's rules are. So it means that I am limited in what I can do for my own horses simply because of that and we have limited funds because of like our place and our status and I see a lot of people like even locally within here who have these beautiful large properties that they could make lovely turnout pens on and like very much better the quality of lives the horses are living in and like I've also seen them put millions of dollars into building these fancy barns that are very much built as like a, bar a barbie barn for the person and not for the horses like it's set up with like fully boarded up walls tiny paddocks little stalls but it's beautiful like it's pretty it's aesthetically pleasing but for the horses it's completely inadequate and when I see people in situations like that it frustrates the shit out of me because I look at it and I go you have all of the resources and money in the world to almost immediately better your horse's situation and you just choose not to and they have the resources to learn more and also their horses are usually like experiencing high levels of stress behaviors and vices too that are like a total like neon red flag saying hey there's a problem here that needs to be addressed but they only care about themselves and they're too selfish to want to better the lives of their horses and it like watching on the outside as someone who is so incredibly envious of these people who have their own properties or at least have it in the attainable future of getting their own properties and like even remodeling certain things within the properties to fit like the exact specifications of what they want for their horses or building new paddocks building special types of setup barns to make it happier for the horses they have all of the means of doing that they can afford to watching them just choose not to and seeing how it impacts their horses negatively it like literally kills me inside because I'm so envious of their place in this world and I wish I had access to the same resources they did and if I did I would be doing so much better for my horses but then they do and they don't and I find that like so disgustingly frustrating because like even for myself like my horses for where they live because I live in a pretty expensive area of BC like it's the one of the most expensive areas in all of Canada um so land is expensive and a lot of boarding barns do not offer social turnout or if they do it's only during like the spring and summer and maybe early fall and a lot of them also only have like small individual paddocks they don't necessarily do full forage feedings it's very very hard to find anywhere that has like year-round group pasture turnout especially on like large plots of land especially in like this area so what my horses have right now like in for the area it's very good but it's not as good as I want them to have like I want them to have way more space I want them to have access to like grazing year-round ideally and I want to just be able to rotate them on and off different fields and just make a better setup for them where they can practice more natural behaviors cover more ground and just have like more of the herd style life that's more natural and that is like literally the life goal that I'm fighting for and like every like waking purpose of my business and like trying to push myself forward in the industry is with the intent of eventually getting to the point where I could afford my own property and have the freedom to build it and set it up how I want to and how I think would be best for the horses and also the space to do the best that I can for them and that's like my entire goal like my lifetime goal it's been a goal since I first started writing I've always wanted my own farm like my own little sanctuary my own place so when when I see people who have like who are living that dream but are still not doing right by the horses even though they have all the space and resources to do so it's one of the most frustrating and soul-crushing things ever because it doesn't matter how badly you want something or that you could do better by the animals if you don't have the means of doing it it doesn't matter someone else will do it and 
they can build things in an aesthetically pleasing way enough and people value money and status and how things look so much in the horse world that they'll even get like applauded and complimented for it even if the horses suffer as a result of the like little glass barbie house that they built for the benefit of people and I find that so frustrating because it's the same thing with like the upper level equestrians that we see like they get applauded and uh, rewarded for every little thing even if they're not fulfilling the basic needs of their horses like we'll justify uh, certain types of equipment and like stabling and treatment of horses if an upper level rider does it but then if a beginner tried to get away with the same equitation or same treatment same type of riding in a bit they wouldn't get defended in the same way and I find that troubling because we hold like beginner riders and like amateurs and all those types of people or even lower level professionals to a higher standard than what we hold our upper level professionals to because there's this notion that if you get to the top you can only do so by knowing and understanding more than the average joe and being a better rider which is not true because there are so many obstacles in the way that are directly related to like finances and money and status that prevent people who have the talent to get there from getting there so we treat it like it's this race that's fair and that the people who get there have gotten there fairly and just as a result of simply their own skill and love and good treatment of the horses but that's not the case so valuing it to the extent that it is in the horse world is inherently flawed because it's never going to be done properly and we're never going to properly look out for the horses if we pretend that people are automatically better horse people just because they're able to get to the top levels of the sport especially when the way the sport is run currently isn't about rewarding who does stuff most ethically for the horse and until the judging changes to do so you can't really value ethics based off of like the level someone competes at because it's so inaccurate and yeah so it sorry I kind of went off topic there it's just so frustrating but basically like one of the main things that I wanted to talk about like regarding like the trapping and like poor management and training of horses is that a lot of these people will mismanage their horses so the horses won't be getting their basic needs met and then this means they're more predisposed to behavioral issues and then when these behavioral issues arise these people are the types of people that will very quickly label it as like a tantrum like they'll say my horse threw a tantrum I see the word tantrum used all the time my horse had a tantrum today about jumping this fence or a tantrum today about tying or a tantrum today about going into the bridle and then they'll have like these horses that they're like laughing at and they're like lathered and like heaving and we're like ha lol someone learned the hard way that like it's way harder to listen to me and that they have to run way more and the horse is like literally dripping in sweat and the person's like laughing about it and it's just like you know like this is weird like it's just uncomfy like first of all if you miss all the signs that a flight animal is getting like overexposed and then they get over threshold and have a quote tantrum aka just like a flight reaction where they can't handle something anymore and usually like a tantrum is when they've gotten to the point where it's like a big reaction because they've been so pent up and stressed for an extended period of time that all of this energy just comes out all at once and then yes it's a big reaction but people label it as a tantrum instead of going like oh my god I created this issue by missing all these signs and even in some cases with these people will have a tantrum themselves at their horse who they say is having a tantrum by like really heavily punishing the horse or chasing them and making them quote work and just basically escalating the situation and taking their own frustration out on the horse because the horse reacted to their inability to time things in an effective way to avoid that reaction and they'll take it out on the horse and call it a tantrum and then work the piss out of the horse and even justify doing things like hitting them and punishing them and like having them meet Jesus because they threw a tantrum but then like we justify people throwing tantrums at their horses all the time when at the end of the day like it shouldn't even matter even if like we were going to go as far as to claim like okay yeah the horse is having a tantrum like they're being a petulant child which will never happen but even if we were going to go that far us as people chose to give these horses their jobs if even if we're going to pretend that horses can like stubbornly have these childish like outbursts even if we're going to go that far the way you need to look at it is you are the teacher of this toddler and what you did upset and overexposed your toddler to such a point that they threw a massive temper tantrum that not only made your training completely ineffective and postponed an entire training session from being effective but really stressed and upset your toddler 
And no matter how you swing it, that's your fault as the wiser, older, more experienced person who's supposed to be showing them the way in a way that's effective and most likely to actually teach them something. And by default, causing high levels of stress isn't likely to do that because we're not as likely to retain information in the same quantity and ability when we are under high levels of stress because cortisol impedes brain function and impedes the ability to retain information because all of your like fight or flight response is poised towards trying to escape a threat. So as soon as you get them to that point, you've basically made your training less effective. But people like doing these types of things to horses because it allows them to take out their own anger and frustration on the horse, which is why I think we need to start referring to like the horse having a tantrum as the rider having a tantrum because the horse is just responding to the situation that they were put in. And this isn't to say that if you ever have a horse react in a flight manner that you're at fault and a bad person. Like, I mean, you would be at fault from a standpoint as if you have a horse have a big explosion because of something you're doing with them, then it means that there were signals that were missed. Or if you didn't miss them, you chose to press on too much anyways and then elicited this reaction. But it doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad horse trainer. It just means that you need to take that information and learn from it. But the problem is when you blame it on the horse having a tantrum and use it to justify you getting louder and more scary and big to the horse, then it shows that you're not learning from it and you're using it as a reason to blame the horse for the reaction that you caused by how you handled them. And I think that's where we need to draw the line because it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to realize that yes, horses are flight animals and triggers can stack up so fast or in a way where you don't necessarily notice or there can be one big event that pushes them so far over threshold so quickly that you couldn't have really avoided it and things happen. But how you respond to that and how you view it defines whether or not it's something that's going to be productive in terms of your learning and understanding as a trainer and if it's going to be productive in how you view how the horse is responding. If you always view it as the horse throwing a tantrum, you're already deciding that it's like a battle and that it's you against the horse instead of you and the horse against a problem. And the problem with this is that people who do this very frequently will blame the horse and will use the horse's reaction as a means to justify what they do next. And It'll usually go, oh, this was a really dangerous reaction. We can't have that. We need to show them that that's not okay and unacceptable so they don't do it again. And it's all about, like, blaming the horse for their response and being like, oh, well, you can't respond that way instead of going, like, why did they respond this way? And the issue with this is that it doesn't, it requires absolutely nothing on the part of the handler, really, other than to deflect blame. And then what it means is that they're just going to continue to put the horse in situations and make it the horse's job to deal with them as like the more mature and grounded individual of the pairing when really that should be the, the human. Um, and then if they don't, that it's the horse who's at fault and that they should know better because they should know they shouldn't react that way, which is really weird because also like question, how should a flight animal know that they're not allowed to act instinctually? You know, how's that even remotely fair? That's like trying to tell humans like oh I'm gonna make you touch this hot frying pan and you have to leave your hand there and you can't flinch back with the response that your brain does automatically to try to protect you from danger and if you do that then I'm gonna like abuse you further because you should know better it's literally the same thing horses will respond to fear instinctually especially when they're in a high level of stress so saying they should know better than to respond a certain way is bullshit because if they don't know better it's because you didn't show them and it's your job to show them and the way you show a horse how to react better is not through letting them get scared and then getting mad at them for getting scared it's by teaching them how to cope with that that fear before it gets too high and teaching them how to manage that without a big reaction and teaching them that they're safe and they're okay and that you're going to be there to help and facilitate in their learning and comfort and that's not done by scaring them or forcing them into situations that they're terrified of too soon too fast you have to do it by actually making it kind of a conversation and trying to listen to your horse and what they're telling you and find ways to help them to cope with their fear and eventually let go of that fear over time. But you don't do that by punishing them for their response to a fear-inducing stimulus. That's not their fault. At the end of the day, as a trainer, no matter what horse you get in, like if you get a horse in who's more fearful than the rest of the horses you get, it's your job to change the training protocol to suit that horse. You can't just continue doing what you do with most of your other horses because it works with other horses. If it's not working with the horse in front of you, that's all you need to look at and you need to adjust your methodology accordingly. Like there's no reason to intentionally try to elicit high levels of fear and then blame the horse for it and then call it a tantrum because all that is doing is trying to give yourself license to handle it in a much harsher, more 
unfair way to the horse. And there's no really safe way of doing that, even if you're kind of joking around, because lots of people use that exact terminology and thought process to justify um, being unnecessarily harsh to their horses and ignoring what their horse is saying and blaming the reaction on the horse and letting themselves off the hook and just like acting like, oh, I always get such difficult horses who are like this. It's not me causing this. It's the horse. And this is what I have to do to fix it. And it's a very like one track mindset that has like zero tools in the box. Like if your only tool in the toolbox is to just push your horse above threshold until they get scared and then get mad at them for it or push them so far above threshold and then restrain them so that they can't escape wait until they go into learned helplessness and then call it training that's not actually training you're literally just banking on like overexposing your horse and forcing them into like such a position that they like let go or kill themselves first or you and it's just like why you're putting yourself in an inherently dangerous more more in a more dangerous situation for no reason at all none absolutely no reason and a stressed horse is a horse who is more dangerous, full stop. So the entire logic that people use for this type of thing, trying to say like, oh, well, you need to do this because they, they're dangerous when they behave this way. And if you don't handle it, then you have a horse who thinks they can behave dangerously around humans. And it's like, okay, but like, increasing the stress response and scaring them more and teaching them to mask all forms of communication in the future isn't teaching them anything. All you're creating is a ticking time bomb that will either stay in a depressed state and never respond and just react robotically, or you're creating a horse that will do that for a certain length of time until eventually something scares them too much, and then you get this insane stress response that's like undoing all of the internalized stress that they've had over X number of time. And that's not safe. The safest type of horse you can create is a horse who's trusting and kind to people and believes that people won't put them in danger. And then when you hit situations of high levels of stress, they're more likely to look to you for guidance and go, oh, my buddy's here. They haven't put me in a bad situation. I can trust them and follow their lead. And horses like this, even when they're scared, they're less likely to get so far above threshold that they behave dangerously. But at the end of the day, you shouldn't be getting a flight animal if you're not going to be mindful of the fact that they're a flight animal and could have a flight response. Like, can you imagine, like, trying to fucking train a bunny the way like some of these traditional trainers train a horse you'd probably give the thing a damn heart attack like it, it's so weird that with horses we're expecting them to undo like the very fiber of their being or be punished for it and it's inherently flawed and like apps like tiktok are honestly the worst for this because until recently i think it was only like a 15 or a 30 second or a minute long video limit they've changed it to three minutes now so you can load three minute videos max but even still that's not enough time to really give people proper training advice so a lot of the training videos you see on there about like quick fix mentalities that are poorly explained and just serve to only get the person put in danger and their horse in danger by overexposing their horse and then basically making them get the horse so stressed that the horse's only choice is to like shut down and give in and then they call this normal training and it's so insane to me because with the the hard tying and like patience pull thing in specific there's so many people I've had ask me like oh well how would you train tying then what other way is there to teach a horse how to tie well and I'm like like I'm speechless I do not understand how you could be in horses and training horses and only have that as your main method of teaching them how to tie because it's not even teaching them. It's like the horse is teaching themselves how to tie because you tie them to a wall and gave them no other choice. Teaching them how to tie is holding the end of the rope and teaching them how to give to pressure safely and teach them how to be calm at the tie post instead of waiting for them to get so over the top exposed that they panic and pull back until they shut down. Teaching them how to tie well should never even have the stress response of violently pulling back like that ever. Even if you're fixing a horse who is a horse who has learned how to set back. Your goal in training should be to retrain the tying without them ever getting to the point where they're violently pulling back like that. And I've taught a lot of horses to tie who have had problems with setting back. You never do it just by tying them. You hold the end of the rope and teach them how to give to pressure and release safely. And once they realize that they're not tied to a wall that just won't give, they very quickly learn like hey like I can move forward to the pressure and let it go and they learn how to do it quicker because they're not clouded by cortisol levels shooting through the roof as they panic thinking their life is in danger and 
this is how you die properly. There's no reason to elicit that level of stress response. Absolutely none. And people who do this think they're better trainers for doing so, which is ironic because if you're a good trainer, you should be able to do it without ever having it hit that level of response because by default, having a horse get to that level of fear, you're endangering the horse more than you need to by far and you're also endangering anyone around them including any future owners because there is the very likely chance of spontaneous recovery of that fear behavior even if you seem to have fixed it a horse who has been trained through that fear and force of setting back is far more likely to repeatedly see that behavior over time especially in times of fear than a horse who is trained in a calm manner and never taught to fear tying or have any stress associated with it or even horses who have been, if they've been retrained properly and had that stress taken away and taught like, hey, tying is no big, you're not trapped, you're safe, then you're all set and they're going to be calm. The hard tying thing makes no sense. Like the logic and justifications I've heard for it, I've heard them all. None of them make sense. I've heard people go, oh, well, if your horse ties well, you shouldn't even need to tie them to a breakaway tie. I have a question about this. If your horse ties well, you should be able to tie them to a fucking hair elastic and they won't pull back and break it because they tie well. So I don't understand the people who say hard tying is the only way to indicate a horse ties well because if your horse ties well, you shouldn't need to tie them to something that will not break to ensure that they won't go away. And this is the logic behind it. They'll be like, I don't want my horse running away. And it's like, okay, but like if your horse tied as well as that you say that they do, you don't need to hard tie them because they're not going to be so desperate to get away from you that they're going to try to break free the second they're not tied to something harsh. So if anyone out there has a friend who hard ties or if any of you listen to this that believe in the patience pull method, my question is to you, if your horse ties so well, why do you need to make sure they can't get away from you to make sure that they don't leave and run away? Why can't you tie them to anything? Because a horse who ties well shouldn't need to be hard tied. They can tie to anything. You should be able to basically just loop their rope loosely around something and not even tie them and have them stay if they're tied well. There should never be under any circumstances a need to tie them to something that won't break because the understanding should be, hey, my horse ties well, they're not going to leave. And a horse who ties well, if you tie them to a breakaway tie, if they ever were to break it, they probably have a pretty fucking good reason to. I've had horse, I never tie horses to stuff that will not break, but I had a horse who ties very well tied to a breakaway thing and we had some wind. A branch fell down and fell like right where the horse was standing. They pulled back and got loose and didn't get hit by a branch because of that. So why wouldn't you want to give your horse the opportunity to flee a dangerous situation? Because if they tie well enough, they're going to be choosy about when that happens. And when it does, it'll be a situation where you're going to be glad that they were able to get free because you'll avoid a complete wreck or a massive injury to your horse. And if they tie well, they're not going to just decide to leave and peace out and never come back to you because again you gotta question why your horse is so desperate to get away from you that you need to completely restrain them and offer them no means of escape if that's the situation you're in you're doing something wrong because your horses hate you and at any chance they get will choose to avoid being around you and honestly hard tying them and making them panic and giving them another reason to associate fear and stress with you isn't going to make the situation better anyways but bottom line if your horses tie well you don't need to hard tie them you can drop the rope you can loop it around something you can tie them to twine you can tie them to any of the types of breakaway things that you can get you don't need to hard tie them because a horse who ties well is not leaving so bottom line anyone who says that they need to hard tie their horse or need to train it this way to teach it to tie well cannot train sorry full stop you suck at training if that's your only means of teaching how to tie because you're not even teaching the horse the wall is if you're standing there filming as your horse pulls back and you have two hands on your camera and you're not anywhere close to your horse you're not training you're not doing anything. You're not telling them what to do. You're not showing them what to do. You're just watching them struggle. That's all you're doing. You're spectating. You're honestly no different than someone looking into a fish tank and watching the fish move around. You're just spectating. You've not done shit. Anything the horse learns from that, they have taught themselves and they have done so through way higher instances of stress than necessary simply because you were too lazy, selfish, and uncreative to think of a better way of training that doesn't put them in a dangerous situation. This is a hill I will die on. You're not good at training if you think that you need to trap your horse to tie them like this and watch them struggle. That's not how you train them. It's not training. Calling it training is a joke because the trainer is literally not even involved. Literally, their only involvement is tying a knot and then walking away. That's not training. Like, that's like me saying I'm fucking training my shoes by tying a lace in them, that I'm teaching them how to tie themselves. No, I'm, I, I just tied them and then they stay like that and I go on my merry way. So 
yeah bottom line if your horse ties well like the the logic behind this thing that it creates horses who ties better is a load of shit because all of these people are convinced that you cannot tie horses to break away twine or they'll leave and then they'll in the same breath claim that their horses are better tires and it's like are they though like I could tie my horse to a freaking piece of string and they wouldn't leave because they know how to tie and we've made it a pleasant experience where I'm not just like lording my power over them and trying to scare them. It's not training. And same thing with like teaching a horse to lay down and then like not teaching, well not teaching them. Roping a horse and forcing them to lay down is not teaching them how to lay down. You've given them literally no other option. None. And that's not going to make them feel comfortable around you because basically you force their hand. They're not choosing to lay down by you because they trust you. You're forcibly making them and teaching them that they can't get up. So then they just go, fuck, I have to stay down, I guess. That's not doing anything. A horse who trusts you is one that will lay down in front of you at their own will and freedom. That's a horse who trusts you. I can pretty much guarantee that a lot of these horses who've been forcibly laid down aren't going to go out of their way to lay down directly in front of the assailant who forced them to lay down. They're probably going to choose to lay down when their person is not around and when they're minding their own business and in their own free space. And that's because trust related to a flight animal choosing to lay down is about not feeling threatened and they're sure as fuck gonna feel threatened when you're pulling their legs out from under them and putting them in in the single most vulnerable position for an animal whose main defense is to flee from danger um it's just unnecessary and like the thing is people can learn and like there's a huge difference between someone who's like not fully on board with like adopting science-based methods and changing their way but who is like open to learning and open to like considering like why certain methods might be outdated now and why we should make a difference there's a huge difference between someone like that and someone who's just like oh well this works this is the way i always do it you're stupid and you've not trained any horses if you don't agree because those people aren't even open to a discussion. You could put out all of the the proof in front of people like that and be like, this is why this causes so much distress to horses and these are the quantifiable statistics surrounding the studies on this. And they would still look you in the eye and go, oh, well, it works for me. Because they truly believe that their anecdotal experience surpasses that of scientists. And the funny thing is people like this have such chronically stressed horses that they can't even see the stress in their horses and they think that this chronic level of stress is normal and justified and just a part of training because they don't know any other way. So they think that there's no other way to avoid this and they cannot fathom a way of handling horses that is not this and they're not even willing to consider it so no wonder they can't fathom it because they don't even want to look at it they don't even want to consider the fact that something they could have done could have been better for the horse or that's something they've done in the past and continue to do is harmful to the horse and that's the difference because not everyone is going to let go of their age-old biases instantaneously and start to really learn and welcome another method when it criticizes something they've been taught to normalize and always known. It's normal to get defensive and not like immediately just jump to the other side and completely change your ways and do things completely differently. It's normal to be slower in your path to change, but people who are really in the sport for the horse and for the love of the horse are not the ones who are stubbornly watching their horses panic in front of them, downplaying the level of panic or discomfort or pain the horse is experiencing, and then blatantly denying the scientific facts surrounding why these methods are bad. Those aren't the people who are in the sport for the horse. They're in it for themselves. They're selfish. It's not about how the horse thinks or feels because they can watch horses be violently stressed and they can laugh at it and they're perfectly okay with continuing that way even when different information is offered to them that points out why this is not fair to the horse. And even more so, like even if you don't necessarily trust people saying this without looking at the sources, if people say stuff to you and there's enough people saying it and some of them are providing citations, if enough people are saying it, then you should have the curiosity to look further into it and want to learn more. Uh, especially if it means doing better by your horse. If you're truly in it for the horse, you could be stubborn and thinking like, this is the way I've always done it. It's worked for me. I don't see why it's bad. But if enough people are bringing it to your attention, like, hey, this horse is really stressed. This is dangerous. I've had accidents happen that have permanently injured or killed horses because of this, this and that. And you still choose to refuse to look into it or consider the fact that there's a better way. Then you're choosing your own comfort zone and your own selfishness and your own biases above the well-being of your horse. And you can't in good faith say you're in the sport for the horse then when you just deny it to that extent, especially when we're talking horses that are so far over the threshold of stress that they're just blindly panicking. Like this isn't just like moderate spooking and whatnot because there's certain things in the horse world that are 
likely to cause more stress, like certain types of bidding equipment and gadgets, but there is like a spectrum. And obviously the way you use something and how poorly you misuse it will make it worse. But the types of things I'm seeing with this specific type of training, with the types of trainers who do things like the patient's pull, lying horses down or tacking and riding horses who they've clearly prepared not at all and just explode and go bronking off as a result. These are the types of trainers I'm talking about. They're having such a high degree of stress constantly that literally their only tactic in training of creating a calm quote horse is learned helplessness. None of their horses are actually calm. They're chronically stressed, but they've had to just break their spirits and become robotic to cope with the level of stress because the people are not willing to train them. They're only training by coercion and fear and just basically forcing the horse to shut down in order to cope with the stress of being in that barn. And they're not in it for the horse. Because if you were, you would stop and go, hey, like I could possibly be harming my horse from doing this. Let's look more into it. And honestly, as someone who initially like resented some of the stuff that I'm now promoting because of how people perpetuated it to me and how rigid some of the takes were, like the thing that really put me off for a lot of the positive reinforcement stuff was people who were pro positive reinforcement, but blatantly like against negative reinforcement and said that there's absolutely no way to use negative reinforcement in a way that's not cruel. Those people put me off because they were like insinuating that like no one's horses enjoyed their presence if they used any type of negative reinforcement and that the only way of doing stuff ethically was adopting a 100% positive based approach and that put me off because it was basically saying like hey you have to come over to our side 100% of the way or you're just as bad as everyone else and I viewed it the same way as like what some vegans do where they're like unless you're 100% vegan fuck you I don't care if you're vegetarian I don't care if you're trying to cut back meat I don't try if you're trying to care if you're trying to ethically source things you have to be just like me or fuck you I took it like that and it really put me off off a lot of the stuff and put a poor taste in my mouth for welcoming it to the extent that I have now. But my science courses for equine science made it very clear to me like certain methods are just completely not okay. Like the hard tying and like those fear-based methods lying horses down, the effects of very poor management. It painted those to me crystal clear in such a way that I couldn't deny it any longer. And honestly, like when I was earlier on in my journey of learning, like even pre-science classes, the things that were most eye-opening to me was the changes I saw in my horse's behavior when I made the choices to move them off of like the traditional being stalled overnight in a small paddock during the day onto full turnout. The change I saw in the behavior was so immediate and stark that it really clearly showed to me like, hey, this is the better way for them to live. They're happier this way they're calmer and it has a very good effect on their mental state and well-being so like my growth as a rider and trainer has happened over the last like decade or more and like as years have passed and as I've learned more the changes that I'm making and like how passionately I talk about this stuff has definitely like accelerated and I've started to welcome stuff more and more the more I've like tried it and realized that it works and this is why I'm like so frustrated with the people who are like at the very far end in in terms of like rough training and whatnot. Like the people that use those methods frustrate me so much because there's just no effort for growth and they handle being criticized for like blatantly abuse abusive methods very much the same that they handle their horses. They just try to bully people into their silence and I hate this because for a lot of people who aren't like me and who haven't necessarily been around horses for as long or who haven't taken the equine science courses and who haven't developed that support network of other science based trainers that know their stuff um, to get confidence from and get understanding from. It's hard to talk back to people who are just insulting your intelligence and trying to make you feel stupid, especially if you view yourself as less experienced than others because you're not a trainer. But I want to clarify to all of you like that these types of people, their only form of like argument against their methods is like using logical fallacies like ad hominem attacks and other stuff. They're going to attack your character and they're going to attack who you are as a person. They're going to make fun of how you look they'll make fun of your horses they'll make fun of the discipline you ride or they'll try to make fun of your experience level to do whatever they can to attack you instead of the argument at hand what you'll notice with these types of people is that they'll very rarely ever have any fuel against your argument that holds any merit like they're not going to have a comment that actually defends what they're doing and justifies what they're doing or says why it's not bad they're always just going to attack you and that's how they function so do not let these people win don't let them make you feel small call them out because they're trying to use the same tactics on you that they apply on their horses and you shouldn't let them work my dog is barking and i have to go so thank you for listening to my podcast don't forget to check out my channel my my store we're releasing more bridles and restocking them next week and i also have a bunch of saddle pads and stuff coming out soon
soon. So check those out. Those will all be up on my website in the coming weeks. And I've also released holiday pads and I have lots more YouTube videos in the work and I've just got a lot of stuff going on. I'll update you all soon. It's been very busy. Thank you again.